We should just take another offering after Highland Place. <clears throat> just say amen and let's all go home, you know. One of the things when you apply to seminaries uh, or you apply to be on staff with a Christian organization or any of those kind of things, one thing they, they, they love to ask you is describe your call. That's a new phrase to me. I remember filling out a form, describe your call into ministry. And I'm thinking, call, what, is, what does this whole thing about, about call have to do with that? I don't, I don't really know what this is, this whole call thing, which made me wonder, geez, maybe I shouldn't be, be doing this. And as, as I talked with people about this, what is this call into the ministry? Um, I started doing a little investigation, and I talked with other people. And some, uh, Martin Luther is the one who came up with it. He called it a vocatio. He said, everybody's called into something. It's not just you're called into ministry. You're called into every line of work. And I like that. I think there's a, a lot of truth to that. I think Luther was, was right on that. And so as I thought more about why would I want to go into the ministry as a vocation, um, you try to go back to when, when was that moment when you felt that God was really moving it in your life. And I, I don't have one where it's real clear. Some people say they, they knew it this day. Uh, I spoke with some, even some of you, and they just knew that that was the point. I don't have one of those. I, I am more like what it says in, uh, I think it's in 1 Timothy, he who desires to be an overseer desires a noble task. And I have just felt like, that's, I, I would like to do that, Lord. But it wasn't so much of a, you know, here's the phone, and I pick it up, and God, and yeah, I'm willing to do that. It wasn't that kind of a deal. If I did have to point it to one particular instance, though, I would point it to this instance. I was no more than about six weeks old in my journey of following Christ. And I distinctly remember I, 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 I had a Bible. I had a Bible for years before that, but I had my Bible, and I was in Glorious Frontier Hall, they had these old windows. They don't have those anymore. And they were the kind that crank out. And they were just dirty and, oh, they were terrible. And I remember I was standing in front of this window. It was nighttime. And I was standing in front of this window. And I had my Bible open. And I was reading something. And I just happened to be pacing around a little bit. And I looked in the mirror, or excuse me, I looked in the, the window, which caused a reflection because it was nighttime. And I saw myself holding a Bible open and reading it. Now, the circles I grew up with, that's pretty weird. That's a weird thing. That uh, would not be what anybody would accuse me of doing before them. You'd be pretty shocked. In fact, when I go back to some of my reunions and I talk to them, they say, you're doing what? It's a little bit out of what they'd think. But I remember what my reaction was when I looked in, in that uh, plate, plate, of, uh, plate of thing of glass. And it worked like a mirror. I remember thinking, that's really cool. That's really cool. Lord, if I could do nothing but just be involved in, in, in studying the Bible and helping others to know about this incredible gift that Christ has for them, I would love to do that. So I don't know if that's a, a call or not. About a year or so later, the Lord led me to a passage of Scripture that's been very deep within my life. It's Ezra 7.10. It's kind of an obscure passage. But I love this verse. It says, For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. And as I thought about that passage, that's what I wanted to give my life to. I wanted to give my life to knowing God through his word 
And, and not only just knowing it, but also living it out. That's a huge part of it. A lot of people know the Bible, and I don't want to have anything... That's bad to say it that way. Uh, they're not real attractive to be around. They're kind of uh, pricks, you know? They just know everything, and they're just... <laughs> pardon my French, but it's true, you know? They just, they're know-it-alls, and they just bang, 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 bang. They know the Bible really well, but they're not... It says, no, study and observance of the law of the Lord. Study and observance and to teaching it in, in Israel. So that's, that's what I wanted to, to, to be involved with. As I became older and I, was in, uh, and I was in, actually in this church, not this building, but Hope Community as I was the pastor here, for some reason, uh, different things happen at different ages. For me, when I turned 25, I became mortal. 25 is the age when I realized I was going to die. It just wasn't a concept to sit around with late night BS sessions. This was going to happen. When I turned 25, some, some of your systems start to shut down, like your, hair, your head stops growing hair, and that kind of stuff. Uh, th th things happened. And, and when I hit 35, I hit just a twinge of the old midlifer there. You know, you, you look and you think, oh my goodness, just like that. 35 years have went by. And so I, I you know... 35 more and I'll be 70. And then 35 more and I'll be 105. <laughs> I was a math guy, so I can do that real quick. Impressive, huh? <laughs> when I hit 35, I knew that I wanted to be involved in the ministry. I knew that I felt like it was even in pastoral work, but I thought, well, that's still a pretty broad thing. Lord, what is it that you've put on my heart that I want to give my next 35 years to? And I felt a very strong answer to that from God. Again, it wasn't anything that I would put in a specific like call, but it just was a desire. And they're in three areas. Those areas are, first of all, in preaching and teaching. I just, I just love to be involved with preaching and teaching. Those of you who are ever sitting in any of my LDI classes know that I'm a little bit nuts in them, but I just love, Naomi's up there smiling, I just love to be involved with people as they're processing the scriptures. Some of you send me emails after a sermon, and you're just processing something, and even if you kind of disagree with me on it, I love that. Because you're thinking. That's, that's a high compliment to me. Don't, don't feel, maybe I shouldn't say this, you're all going to email me now, but um, in, a, in a negative way. No, no, no that, that's okay. You can forward those to core. Um, <clears throat> that's one, teaching and preaching. The second one is I want to help as many churches start as possible. I'm fully convinced that uh, church planting, the starting of new churches, is an incredibly effective way to reach more and more people for Christ. And I also believe uh, uh, that, that it's better to have a church, 10 churches of 100 than one church of 1,000. I, I, just, I just think there's a lot of more life that happens. Uh, we've all you know, grown past that here at this point. We keep trying to spin off churches and do that. That's a very valuable thing. We want to do that. We also want to do that overseas. We don't want to just do it in Minnesota and our region. We want to do it overseas. And so we have a whole missions program that's about church planting in another culture. And the last one is leadership development. When I became 35, I realized I'm getting old. And the best thing to do is to be involved in helping the next generation of leaders. And it is amazing what God has done in this church just with the leaders. I'm looking at a whole bunch. And God keeps raising up more and more people who will be effective leaders in the kingdom. We're in a series right now called The Church on Fire. It's a study of the book of Acts. And as I thought about these things this week, uh, and, and this just seems like a great passage to do this in, I've wanted to talk about these kinds of things. You could pick any passage in Acts, almost. I'm going to pick this one. And we're going to talk about this question. 
The question I want to ask is, what was the early church's strategy for, for making disciples, for, for uh, what, what did I say here, for making, developing followers of Jesus? Or as a phrase we like to say at Hope, we want to go into the kingdom of darkness and trash the joint, right? Those of you who are freshmen know what I'm talking about, right? Arr, go break stuff. That's so much fun in the dorms, you know? Arr. I don't advocate that. Do not take that out of context. Uh, I'm just saying that might happen. That's, what, what did they do? And we could pick any passage. This passage just lended itself to it. So what we want to do is look at this passage. You want to open up your Bibles or grab that insert or you can just look on the screen. We're going to be in Acts chapter 18, the second half of Acts chapter 18, starting in verse 18. I want to look at, I, I think there are at least five strategies that the early church employs in this passage and in, I, I think you could pick just about any passage in, in uh, Acts and you can see things that they employ. Look at the first one, verse 18. Paul stayed in Corinth for some time. Remember, he was in Corinth for a year and a half, and it says he stayed there some time. We're not sure if that adds on more. Some scholars believe most of about two years, Paul was in this city of Corinth. Ah, it'd be great to sit under the teaching of the Apostle Paul. I'm a Paul freak, but that would be so awesome. Then, it says, he left the brothers, brothers and sisters there, and sailed for Syria, accompanied by... Priscilla and Aquila. That's huge. There's a couple huge things there. That he, he took these people with them. He took Priscilla and Aquila. And I don't know if I want to make too much about this, but they flip the order of Priscilla and Aquila's name. Priscilla was probably the ministry hound in that couple's relationship. And they worked as a, as a team but Priscilla probably, most people would say this, and, and I tend to lean that way, that there was, she was really the one that was involved in all the aspects of, of the day-to-day -day ministry that they were involved with. So here you got this, Paul takes Priscilla and Aquila, met them in Corinth. We'll see in just a little bit how, how that happens and, and, and how their relationship grew. And then he takes them with them. That's very significant. I think it's very significant because Paul realizes that teamwork in the context of relationship is what it's all about. He could have just said, you know, I'm a superstar. I'm an apostle. I'm going to write more books in the New Testament than all you jerks. So follow me. He doesn't do that. He's constantly working with other people to make them leaders. It's amazing what he's doing. Remember, he had Timothy and Silas before. He leaves them somewhere. And now he's going he's gonna to bring in uh, Priscilla and Aquila, and he's bringing them along. Then it says, before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at, at Centuria because of a vow he had taken. I, I, this doesn't really fit here, so I'm going to stand over here. I just got to talk about this for a minute. What's this whole vow thing? I mean, the only thing I know about vows is when you stand up here before the preacher and say, I do until I die kind of a thing, right? What, what's this? He didn't get married, did he? No. He didn't get married, and it'd be kind of a weird thing to do on a honeymoon anyway, shave your head. What's this vow? We don't know. We don't know. But oftentimes, vows were taken. <clears throat> I'm just going to say it like it is. And it's not going to fit in your nice little theological box, because it doesn't fit in mine. Okay, but I'm just going to say what it is. It's an if-then. If you do this, God... Then I'll do this. That is, that is, that's what a vow. 
isn't. You can see it all over in the Old Testament. So Paul takes a vow. Most people think, the scholars think, that Paul, for whatever reason, and we saw it last week, was scared to death in Corinth. Didn't want to say that. Remember, uh, Jesus told him, stop fearing. So he was scared to death in Corinth. Most people think that because Paul made it out alive, out of Corinth, he said, God, if you just, God, if you just please get me out of here alive, I'll shave my head. I don't know what value there is to God for hair, but it was some way of him saying, God, you have done something for me, and I'm going to show you in this haircutting thing back. Now, as 21st century Bible-believing people, we're not really into vows a lot. But I was shaking this week. I mean, it, it doesn't say anything against it. It just says he did it. Well, we're taking a lot of other things that he did at face value. So I think you can't use this as a bargaining chip with God. Okay, God, if you do this, then I'll this. God doesn't need hair. And he doesn't need anything you are going to do. Okay? But if there's a situation where you say, God, I, I just, if you lead me this way, I will do something you might want to rethink that. Now, end, end parenthesis, I don't want to think any more about that because I don't know exactly how it works. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It can be a good thing. It can be way overdone, though. Strategy number two, verse 19. They arrived at Ephesus. Who arrived? Priscilla, Aquila, and Paul. They arrived at Ephesus where Paul leaves Priscilla and Aquila. He leaves them there. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. Oh, that's amazing. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. We're going to find out that he comes back in chapter 19. So he's going to come back. Now, what is so amazing about this? There's a couple things. First thing is that Oh, I, I missed the map, didn't I? Johnny, could you go back to the map there? I, I blew the map out, didn't I? Yeah, whoop, one there, there we go. Um, okay, Paul, if you remember, the reason... Uh-oh. 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 Ziegler pen. Now we're going to name it. doesn't work. Uh, huh. Okay. The... Uh, hmm. <laughs> well, see up there where it says uh, Bithynia. In that area right there, Paul was there, and it says that the Spirit of Jesus stopped him. We'll go to that one in just a second. So he went to Troas, and, and it says it stopped him from going a different couple different places, one of which was south, Acts 16.6. John, could you go to Acts 16.6? you got to be good. This is my son, so he's really good. Okay. It says, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept... By the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Can you go back to the map now? There we go. <clears throat> now, he, they, they couldn't go south. He really wanted to go south. Couldn't go. So he takes this other route. And he goes, he finds up, goes to Troas, kind of as process of elimination, goes over to this whole region of Macedonia, Greece, and uh, Achaia, Achaia, however you say it. And then he finally gets to Ephesus, and as soon as he gets there, he says, I can't stay. You gotta sit there and go. What? Isn't this where you really wanted to go? I mean, Ephesus is a really cool place. I mean, the book of Ephesians is written about Ephesus. It's a very, very important place. And as soon as he gets there, he goes and teaches once, twice, whatever, in the, in the synagogues. And I say, can you stay? He says, no, I got to go. Can you, Paul put his priorities on hold. 
and let the Spirit decide where he was going. That's amazing to me. That's amazing. Paul really wants to get there. He's going to get there. Don't, don't worry. In a couple weeks, we're going to come back. He's going to get there. But it's amazing. He puts his priorities on hold for the Spirit. And then what does he do? This is masterful. These people who he has hung around with for a while, probably a couple years, Priscilla and Aquila, he leaves them behind. That was Paul's practice. He left people behind. So he leaves Priscilla and Aquila. These people from the grassroots that they've been brought up and they understand, I'm sure they could give Paul's messages, he leaves them there. Now, many of you in this room, because hope is just all over the place, filled with leader types, are thinking of going into ministry. And I commend you for that. I think it's great. Whether you're going to do it vocationally or you're going to do it, you know, be a plumber, but you're going to be involved with people's lives on the side. That's great. And, I, and I'm a product of a fine institution right down the road here, Bethel Theological Seminary. And I'm not opposed to seminary. But if you don't get content in the context of relationship, all you got is ideas. I can get that off the internet. Content in the context of loving relationship, grassroots, someone mentors you, like Paul mentored these people. That's what it's about. So I'm I'm not opposed. It's great. We got nine of you in this this, uh, room that are in Bethel Seminary. Last time I filled out an application for somebody, I said, next one I fill out, I'm getting a finder's fee. I want 10%. I know a lot of you are doing that, and that's a great thing. But it has to be in the context of, of guided mentorship, whether it's from people up there or someone in your church or whatever. Get that mentoring involved. Strategy number three, starting in verse 22. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. Probably what this means is there's this town that's real close to Jerusalem, and, and it means that he, when he went to the church, it's probably not the church in Caesarea, it's probably the church at Jerusalem. And then he goes up on the map, I don't have the map here, sorry, but, but, but he goes up, we'd say up, uh, but down, everywhere was down from Jerusalem. So he goes and he's, he's back at Jerusalem, and then it says, after spending some time in his home church, which is Antioch, he, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia. And Phrygia, where he's been there before, strengthening the discipleship. The third strategy is this. He's going to start his third missionary journey. We just completed the second. This is the start of the third. Third one is he had long-term personal involvement with people. He just constantly was with them. Long-term personal involvement with people. Get involved in people's life for the long haul. The person who took me to my first Bible study is now the gym teacher at my kid's school, and we still talk about things. I do not make a major decision in my life without asking Tom what he thinks. I don't always agree with Tom. Tom doesn't always agree with me, but I'm, I'm, I've been involved, he's been involved in my life for 22 years. Long-term personal involvement. Fourth strategy. Meanwhile, I love this, back, like back at the ranch, while this is taking place, meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, 
a native of Alexandria came to Ephesus. So now listen, now they're, not, they're not there anymore. Uh, Paul has left, and Priscilla and Aquila are there. And this guy, he's a, he's a Jewish person. His name's Apollos. He's a native of Alexandria, kind of the, the, that would be like being from New York or something. It's really like you're smart if you're from this place. I don't know if New York means you're smart, but someplace, Hibbing, Hibbing, Minnesota, if you're like from Hibbing. <laughs> that wasn't funny. <laughs> Came to Ephesus, and now it says, he was a learned man. And, and really, literally, that means he was a man of words. Not that could be men of too many words, but I don't think so. I think it means this guy was just, he was a learned guy. He, he knew things. And it says, with a thorough knowledge of the scripture. This guy was mighty, powerful in the scriptures. This guy knew the Bible as it existed at that time, which is only, only the Old Testament. And it says, he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. So he knew more, he knew more than just the Old Testament. He'd been instructed about Christ, who Christ was but only to a certain point. And he spoke with great fervor. Oh, man, that's a good little... If you've got a computer Bible or something, click on that word, great fervor, because what it means is boiling. Boiling. Imagine some dude speaking. What would that look like? It would look something like, he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. This guy preached, man. This guy preached. This guy boiled when he spoke. He's like George Whitfield. Whitfield was known for just being this passionate preacher. He could, he could get crowds of like a thousand people with no amplification. This dude could preach. Benjamin Franklin was so intrigued by George Whitfield that he'd come to see him speak. Franklin didn't believe a word of it. Never professed to be a Christian. But just because in front of him, he could see this man who was burning up with passion, he went to see him. In fact, so much so that Franklin said, when I go hear Whitfield preach, I don't bring any money because he always convinces me to give it all to the orphanages. <laughs> There's a story said that Franklin even went once and, 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 and then he didn't bring any money and the guy, he tried to borrow it from the guy next to him. <laughs> and he doesn't believe a word of it. But just because the guy's burning up. He's boiling. He was a learned man with a third, thorough knowledge of Scripture. He says he taught with, spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately. And then here's the puncher. Though he only knew the baptism of John. Wow. Here's a guy who, who knows the Old Testament well. This guy preaches it up. And, and he goes all the way to the Bible till about Mark chapter 1. He knows that Messiah has come. He knows that John has come to be a, 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 a one who's calling people to repentance, to be this follower of Messiah. But he doesn't know anything about that, that Christ uh, would come and the, the penalty on the cross. Perhaps he had that figured out. He didn't know about the cross. It says he only knew about the baptism of John. Somehow he must have thought that, that Christ, uh, we, somehow he forgave our sins or he didn't have that quite all figured out. So this guy could preach it up, but he didn't know the whole story. And then it says, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue while Priscilla and Aquila heard him. Listen to this. This is huge. You got some guy who's preaching it up and doesn't know the rest of the story. What do they do? They invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. Whoa. 
They could have just stood up right there and embarrassed the guy. But they don't do that. What do they do? They take him. They take him. If you have one of those literal translations, it says they brought him into them, into their home, into their lives. That is money. People, they're doing life together. And Priscilla and Aquila got so attracted to this guy, they brought him home and they told him some things. They told him about what Christ did on the cross. They told him about his resurrection from the dead. They told him about his ascension. They told him about the Pentecost that had come and the Holy Spirit had moved in power. They told him about the expansion of the church. This guy was on fire as a result. And they did it because they just opened their home. They didn't have to embarrass him publicly. They brought him home. That's a that's a principle that Aquila and Priscilla do all throughout Scripture. If you look in Acts chapter 18, when he, they first meet Paul, it says they, uh, there they met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Priscilla and Aquila just said, come on, come on in our house, Paul. It sounds great. And then in Rome, uh, in, in Romans... When they got moved back to Rome where they were from, Paul says to greet, in, in Paul's letter to the book, uh, 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 excuse me, Paul's letter to the Romans, he writes at the end of the book, he says, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They risk their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Isn't that incredible? Here's people that just are constantly finding people and just bringing them home. You may think, ah, I don't, I don't have any ministry skills. Can you make a hot dog? <laughs> Just bring them home. Make a course. You, you make that hot dog thing with the omelet thing, it's terrible. But it, you feel warm and welcomed and loved <laughs> when you're there. What do you call that thing again? Weenie, weenie egg omelet. Weenie, weenie egg omelet, yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. They have that kind of spirit. There's a spirit around Priscilla and Aquila that you feel loved around them, and you know why? Because they didn't publicly, publicly abuse poor Apollos. Jesus says in Matthew um, 18, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. There was nothing wrong with what Apollos was saying. He just didn't get the rest of the story. And instead of, instead of just hammering on the guy, they take him home and they adequately teach him. It's a beautiful passage. Ajith Fernando in his commentary on Acts says, that's not what we do today. He says, unlike what happened with Priscilla, Aquila, and Apollos, we've encountered situations of potential learning today that have gone sour. Often, often this is because the teachers have not been wise in the way they confronted a leader whose knowledge was defective. Unfortunately, some people are so uncomfortable with personal encounter that they prefer to resort to public denouncing or to writing letters or worse still, writing articles rather than talking privately with the person concerned. The result is much hurt and you, usually little teaching that gets through. Do that. I appreciate that when you do that with me. Say, hey, listen, there was something not quite right that you said. I've, ha I've had one formal retraction in this church. I don't want to talk about it, actually. It was really bad. But, but uh, it was a misspeak. 
Um, now you're all wondering what it was. It was four years ago, so get the tapes. Um, <clears throat> is that what you're about? Is that what you're, do you really want people's best or do you want to hammer them? If you want to hammer people, I could rip anybody to shreds. I don't even know some of you. And I could rip you to shreds in about three minutes. I could tear you apart. You could do the same to me. Is that what we're about? We're about ripping people and their ideas and everything. Or, or are we really about building the kingdom? Now, with that said, there is a time when, when you do take it to the next step. I do think that's right. I totally think that's right. But do you first start by going face-to-face -face with them and working it through with them? Last strategy. Verse 27, when Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, back to, the, back to uh, Corinth, that area, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. On arriving, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted the Jews in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. What happens when this guy who's, who's been trained and everything now and even has the whole, they just say, go for it, man. You multiply leaders and you know what? Paul is no longer the one in Corinth. He's not the main guy. In fact, if you read the book of Corinthians, you find out that there was a tension in Corinth because some people said, I follow Apollos, and I follow Paul. In other words, Apollos became that big of a guy that he was as important as Paul. Of course, that was never Apollos' intention, but he was multiplied and he was going. And some people, and I don't know if I buy this or not, but some people believe that Apollos wrote the book of Hebrews. I don't even know. But just that he could even be mentioned that it was a possibility that he did shows you how important this guy became. Multiplied leaders. This last fall, I got a letter. I didn't ask this guy's permission, so I'm not going to tell you his name. Um... But I want to read this letter to you. At least I want to read the first, two, first paragraph and then I'll kind of summarize the second. It's in October. It says, uh, Hi Steve. I bet you never expected to hear from me after almost 20 years. I just happened to be listening to Charles Stanley on a radio station yesterday and he was saying how we are to influence others for eternity and now how nice it will be when in heaven we can thank those who presented the salvation message to us. Well, immediately, I thought of you and Mark, who was my roommate in college. I'm also writing him a letter. And I thought it would be better not to wait and thank you, be better not to wait and thank you now. Through you and Mark, God has given me a new life. And even though I've grown, I, I've grown, even though I've, even though I've grown, thanks to a number of other people. That is not a sentence. Um, <clears throat> you two are the ones who started it all, so you hold a special place in my heart. And then he goes on for the next four big paragraphs here, giving his faith story and how it developed over time, even after. Uh, uh, it's, it's actually very ironic because my roommate Mark was a little bit more influential in this guy's life. And I, I just, this guy wasn't making any progress. And I just thought, well, just, I don't even know. But he just, Mark would not, would not give up on this guy. Even though he'd wander in all kinds of things, Mark just said, no, I'm going to help him out. So this is really more a testimony to Mark than to me. Last paragraph, he says, so you probably, you're probably bored to tears by now. I tend to go on at length. But I just wanted to thank you again. God's used you greatly in my life, and your witness has not come back empty. God has been very faithful, and his spirit has borne much fruit in my life. 
even though I am still quite a babe in spiritual terms. I hope and trust that our Savior has blessed your family's life as much as mine. I pray that he continues to bless it and help you grow. Blessings to you and your family and the guy. I want to challenge you with something as we close. Every person in this room, no matter where you're at in your spiritual journey, every person in this room can be involved in helping other people. You might think, well, man, I'm not even yet a follower of Jesus. How am I supposed to do that? Read, read the Gospel of John. Andrew starts bringing his brother over, and he doesn't have a clue what's going on. It's fine. Obviously, the more you know, the more you can draw people to Christ. You can be involved in the church by being involved in people's lives. It's, it's not that difficult. Ask them out for a cup of coffee and ask them, where are you at in your spiritual journey? If, if they're not a follower of Christ yet, try to explain to them what happened in your life. It's not, this is just dialogue here. The church on fire can take place totally within our context here. And I firmly believe that it happens as we do those, those strategies, especially of grassroots leadership development. Let's pray together. God, I love the way in Acts the church was on fire for you. And God, I love the way that people brought very unsuspecting other people with them. I look at Barnabas helping Paul and Paul helping Timothy and Silas and now with Aquila and Priscilla and then they go out and help Apollos and this thing just starts spreading like wildfire. God, would you do that in our midst? Would you cause us to be involved with people that, that we think you know maybe are out there but for some reason or other you've brought them into our lives? God, would we open our homes? Would we give them weenie omelets and whatever it takes just to be involved with more and more people? And God, I just pray just like uh, Paul, for some of us as we even think about this, it scares us to death. And Lord, you know that. Talk to, you talked to Paul about that, saying stop fearing for I'm with you. So Lord God, may we really sense that you're with us no matter what. Pray, Lord God, that in our city, in Minneapolis, that your church would run on fire. Not just our church. The other, the other churches that are part of the Good Neighbor Fellowship, Augustana and Bethesda and Bethlehem and First Covenant. God, would these churches all be on fire for you? And as a result, would more and more people come and worship you? Not, not for us to say we got bigger churches, but that you have more worshipers and there are more people who are satisfied. Would you do that, God? And would it start with us as individuals and spread like fire? We pray in Christ's name.